Welcome to The Markets, Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, November 22nd. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, here for our weekly look at market activity from Wall Street to the grain fields to the livestock feedlots in another interesting week, basically because of the China-U.S. trade discussions that are up one day, down the next. That was the case today. Wall Street moving higher as both Washington and Beijing made positive comments on the potential for a trade deal between China and the United States. And then there was some upbeat domestic economic data that helped to ease worries of investors going into the weekend. President Trump told Fox News a trade deal was, quote, very potentially very close, following remarks by President Xi Jinping that Beijing wanted to work out an initial agreement. So the S&P 500 and the Dow showed their biggest daily gains in a relatively quiet week, mainly marked by uncertainty, with a report suggesting the delay of a trade truce to 2020 or to 2020 and U.S. lawmakers passing two bills supporting protesters in Hong Kong. That could complicate U.S.-China trade talks. Mark Lucini, who is chief investment strategist at Janney Montgomery Scott in Philadelphia, uh, chalked today's gains up to a strong U.S. manufacturing data as well as the improving mood on trade. He said investors were cautious about the apparent trade progress, however. He said President Trump saying it's close is news we've heard before. How close is close? Close but not quite? or close, but I could change my mind. And he said that's what's keeping the market on its heels at the moment, keeping the move a little more timid. The Dow Industrial Average ended the day with a gain of 109 points to end the day and the week at 27,875. The S&P 500 gained six and three-quarter points, to end the day at 31.10, the NASDAQ Composite Index added 14 points to end the week at 85.19. But still, the S&P snapped its six-week winning streak, while the tech-heavy NASDAQ registered its first weekly drop in eight weeks, and the Dow showed a weekly loss after four weeks of gains. A largely better-than-expected third-quarter corporate earnings season contributed to the recent rallies. Seven of the 11 major S&P 500 sectors closed higher today, led by financials. Some of the other stories that made news today, Nordstrom erupted over 10% after the retailer raised its 2019 forecast and reported third quarter profit above expectations. Gap Incorporated shares up 4.5% as the retailer beat lowered quarterly profit estimates. And one other market to check today, the oil market. Oil prices fell today, pulling back from two-month highs 
Again, concerns over U.S.-China trade talks. Brent crude futures down 58 cents to settle at $63.39 a barrel. And the U.S. crude down 81 cents to settle at $57.77 a barrel. And that dropped from its session high of $58.74. So that's history. Now let's look ahead to next week, Thanksgiving week. And so we get into the shortened trading weeks during the holiday season. And that certainly will help uh, happen this week. On the economic calendar, the Commerce Department's second reading of third quarter GDP due for release on Wednesday, expected to show the U.S. economy increased at an annualized rate of 1.9%. And on the same day, the department is expected to show durable goods orders dropped seven-tenths of a percent in October. Also, the department on Tuesday likely to show that new home sales rose to an annual rate of 709,000 units in October. And also on the same day, the conference board said its consumer confidence index for November rose to a reading of 127. And then Wednesday, the Commerce Department expected to show consumer spending up three-tenths of a percent in October. And finally, on Wednesday, the department is likely to show personal income in October rose three-tenths of a percent following a similar increase in September. On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve scheduled to issue Beige Book on Economic Conditions in Washington. On Tuesday, Federal Reserve Governor Lael Brainard is expected to speak on Federal Reserve Framework Review of Monetary Policy Strategy. That's a mouthful. Consumer electronics retailer Best Buy Tuesday expected to report an increase in third quarter sales as it adds more subscribers to its tech support services. But Wall Street really will pay close attention to the company's forecast for the holiday quarter as a signal of the health of U.S. consumer spending. Farm equipment maker Deer & Company will release its fourth quarter earnings in pre-market hours on Wednesday. Company expected to report lower quarterly earnings hurt by America's trade war with China along with poor weather in the U.S. farm belt, and investors will focus on the company's guidance for the next year as that 16-month-long trade war continues to weigh on farm equipment demand. Store operator Dollar Tree on Tuesday expected to post an increase in third quarter sales. However, Investors will focus on the performance of family dollar stores, which is in the middle of turning around its business with store renovations. Content management platform Box Inc. Tuesday expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue as the company is set to add more customers. Specialty retailer Amber Crombie and Fitch expected to post a decline in third quarter profit on Tuesday due to higher promotions. 
of its Hollister brand. And Canada-based convenience store operator Alimentation Couchet-Tard likely to post a decline in second quarter revenue on, ter- on Tuesday, hurt by lower fuel selling uh, prices. And uh, Canada-based uh, Statistics Canada expected to release third quarter gross domestic product data on Friday. So uh, a lot ahead, but keep in mind the market will close on Thursday for Thanksgiving Day. That will affect the uh, reports coming out of government offices in Washington because they will be closed for the holiday as well. So uh, look for some reports that you would normally receive probably not coming in on the date that you expected. Well, agriculture, of course, had an interesting week, as it always does, as farmers continue to fight the weather that they fought last spring when it was too wet for planting and that they're fighting now when it's too wet for harvesting. Max Armstrong joins us with his guest when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Clayton Pope is back with us this weekend. Clayton Pope Commodities, based in Champaign, Illinois. It's good to see you here. Thanksgiving and the harvest goes on. Yeah, it does for some. Boy, this is a crazy year. I think a lot of people are ready to close the book on this one. We did note in the past week more and more of those social media shots showed us the last few rows, the last few plants. And it was such a a joyful moment, you could tell, for those producers who were wrapping it up. And others, uh, you could see the ruts yet in the field. You could see the struggle going on. And there is still a significant amount of this corn crop yet to be harvested. Oh, there really is. I mean, these guys, I feel bad for them. They're struggling. Um, You know, the the percent harvested is, is... Still really lagging in corn. Beans, I guess, on that last report is only about 4% behind the five-year average at this point. I think 91 versus 95%, so not that big a deal there. But uh, corn, good grief, it's a story that just won't end. And the remaining crop out there may be hard to get yet because of... I think so. I mean, they're saying more and more. I can't remember the exact percentage, but North Dakota was only like, what, 25% harvested or something like that. So uh, it almost seems undoubtedly that a lot of that's not going to come out until spring at this point. How many farmers will be content to leave it out there? They'll just park the combine and say, we're going to go back out out there in March. That's kind of a risky proposition, isn't it? That'd make for a pretty uneasy Christmas, I think. Yeah, for sure. But uh, some of those guys are used to it. I mean, it's it's a last resort. They sure don't want to, but uh, it's... It's not as disastrous as you might think, usually. I mean, you're definitely going to take some kind of hit. It almost seems like we've settled into the doldrums here as far as the market is concerned. Boy, it kind of seems like it. Um, it's, it's hard to believe the first notice day for December is coming up so soon here. But, um, uh, heck, you look at those option premiums, and uh, you can tell this market is just not looking for anything exciting to come down the road for quite a while. 
We have at times, for one reason or another, and I just think back through the years that we wound up with some kind of a Santa Claus rally. That <laughs> you got into the holiday period and, hmm, something happened and had not been anticipated. And there was, either before Christmas or maybe in that Christmas to New Year's period, a somewhat of a rally. Is there anything like that out there looming? Anything that even remotely holds the prospect for delivering here for the growers this year? Yeah, I'm ready any time, but... Um well, I, I can't even believe this word's going to come out of my mouth because I'm not real big on following seasonals. But uh, the seasonals, you know, for both corn and beans, uh, they start to turn up here you know, pretty soon. And I think you could argue that might be delayed a little bit this year just because of the late harvest. Uh, so whatever those forces are that kind of cause those seasonals to take place, uh, maybe they will kick into gear a little bit later. So it seems like the market's kind of trying to search for some support here right now. And I uh, can't call myself bullish, but I do think we're probably pretty close to, to the harvest lows. And uh, I would expect to see some kind of uh, retracement here to the upside. Some of the seasonal gains have been tied, have they not, in the past to problems in South America or anticipated problems drying soils down there, for example? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, and, and it looked, uh, shoot, three weeks ago or so, it looked like that might be an issue. Um, but the recent rains have kind of put that on the back burner for right now. I mean, there have been some really good widespread rains in both Argentina and Brazil. However, uh, the, the rain amounts they're getting, and let's say maybe they're looking for one or two inches in a particular area in Brazil, as much as that sounds like, you know, for the soils down there and for their average, that's really only about half what their normal rainfall for this period would be on a weekly basis. So that being the case, even though they're getting some rain right now, like I said, it's sort of putting those uh, fears on the back burner for now. They're not out of the woods yet. In in uh, it's such a bizarre business. We're sitting here hoping for a, you know some kind of trout scare in, in any part of the world, but um, you know it's not that hard to imagine that that could be a concern hitting this market pretty soon if if uh, uh, these rains start to shut off again. And even as they are right now, it's not really enough to replenish those subsoil moistures. There's something like oh, depending on the area and so forth, you know, something like fifty to eighty percent of the acreage down there. In uh, in Brazil is uh, uh, less than average of the 30-day and their 90-day you know, moisture profile. We know they've expanded their crop acreage. Is the expansion such that it, it spreads their risk a little bit? It makes it less likely that the market's going to get excited about weather challenges in South America. I think that's true. Um, it's a good point. I mean, uh, the driest areas right now in Brazil are the southern areas, and uh, as far as the bean production goes, that's not the the heaviest production areas. So, kind of like the U.S. I mean, it, it's hard to get a you know across the country uh, disaster looming, but uh, it, it's still, if it's severe enough for even you know a third of the acreage or something like that, I think it could impact markets. What will it take to get the market really excited about China again? Mm. I mean, we would. See, at various times over the past few months, a spike in price that correlated with what was going on in the equity markets, too, on any little bit of news coming out of China, or conversely, a a drop in price. Are we getting past uh, those reactions at all? It would certainly seem to be the case. I mean, uh, you go back a year ago, if there was a tweet or an announcement or whatever, it would, would, you know, you see the beans, it would send them one way or the other. Now it seems like the beans just kind of don't even hardly blink. Uh, however, the stock market, it seems like the, the, maybe it's just the algo traders or whatever, it continues to react pretty violently to so, those kind of stories. But uh, it does seem like the bean market in particular has become more and more immune to that really affecting it. I think and there's just a lot of disenchantment with the whole thing right now. 
Uh, I've sort of been a firm believer, and I believe I said this last time I was on your show, that uh, frankly, I think the impact of a trade deal or not, uh, as far as uh, affecting the soybean market, is is really overrated. Uh, I mean, let's look at, look at the Chinese demand, and not only you know the purchases from us, but but our shipments to them as well of soybeans. They've been big in the last couple months. So. And, and and we're in the middle of a trade war, and, and you know they keep granting these temporary uh, reprieves from from the tariffs and that kind of thing. The bottom line is, if they want the beans, they're going to buy them from us. Um, but I think the also the other bottom line is they would probably prefer to buy them elsewhere, you know, just because of the whole political thing. But um, uh, so whether there's a trade deal or not, it seems like they, you know, they've managed to be a better or a bigger customer than anybody thought they would be under the circumstances, and as such. Uh, my feeling is that whether or not a trade deal is signed is probably not going to be that impactful to the soybean market. Let me move into the world of politics for just a moment. Oh, oh boy. Know, look, look out here. <laughs> I know, everybody who writes a CTA knows that they know that that third rail out there is the one that's energized. So we, we kind of stay away from <laughs> yeah. that. But Oh, boy, you might regret this. Now, let, let me just ask you. You know, we're getting closer and closer to November of 2020. The yeah. clock is ticking there. We quite often see... In an election year, rabbits pulled out of the hat. And it doesn't make any difference who's in the White House. We see things that have been done, maybe through uh, various existing agriculture programs, things that USDA can do. The the secretary who's sitting there can go out to an event somewhere near Makokata, Iowa, and announce a grant. But but there are things that happen, regardless Mm -hmm. of who's in the White House. Mm Mm-hmm. What is the prospect for something like that that could be meaningful in 2020? And and I note, and I simply ask you, and I, you know, these MFP payments that have been granted to producers this year to try to make up for the trade war have indeed been significant. They haven't made the producers whole, mm-hmm. but as many economists have pointed out, it would be a very different story from an income standpoint if they weren't there. Will there be more of those in 2020? Well, absolutely. It's been very impactful. I think uh, probably one of the major reasons why you're seeing uh, such strong basis levels in, in a lot of the country this year, the eastern Corn Belt in particular, I mean, it's just given people a lot more staying power, ability to hold on, you know, with a real tight grip on, on, on their production and not be sellers as aggressively as they might normally be. But uh, rabbits out of the hat, boy. Um, well, I just got done sort of giving my feeling on the tariffs, uh, although there's no question if, if Trump were to roll back the tariffs, you know, like the December 15th one, and people are making that look like a big line in the sand, uh, let alone any, you know, possible new proposed ones like he's hinted at this last week. That, that I would think, give a boost to the market, although I think it would be kind of temporary. Um, he's pretty in a little bit of a corner right now. I don't know how he could do that without really looking like he's just throwing in the towel and, and look like a very weak negotiator at this point. But who knows? I mean, there's a lot of directions that could take. But besides that, I guess I sincerely hope nobody starts talking about some kind of set-aside or something like that because I think we're struggling to keep the market share we have in the world right now. I mean, if you look at the chart, particularly like of corn, our market share of the world export market has been falling dramatically. I think any kind of like set-aside or reduced acreage program, anything that would encourage that would really just be handing more market share to the, to our global competitors on a silver platter. And that would be a real mis- long-term policy mistake, in my opinion. But um, besides that, um, you know, I, I guess the ob- most obvious possibility would be you know, some kind of big jump in the whole uh, ethanol uh, world, you know, in, in biofuels. 
But uh, there is room there for the administration to do something, isn't there? Well, there really is. And uh, with the election coming up, uh, that would probably be a pretty fair game. You know, a lot of people feel like he's really slighted or you know, turned his back on, on on the farming community there with the uh, the credits given to the oil industry and all that. Market reaction would be limited, though, would it not? I think it would be limited, but it would be a positive. But, uh, you know, between that and the, uh, you know, the Japanese trade deal and then, you know, if, uh, maybe we'd come some kind of Band-Aid approach on this Chinese thing. You know, maybe all those would add up. I, I do feel that uh, as, as bad as corn demand is now, I don't think it can get worse, knock on wood. Uh, and it doesn't mean it's got to get better immediately. But uh, just this last week, we've seen uh, at least three daily sales of some pretty significant size of corn to unknown destinations, but it's just uh, that's living proof that uh, we are finally more competitive on a global basis. Is that headed to China, that corn? I doubt it, but uh, maybe. I mean, unknown destinations, I mean, that's, that's always the first thought. But uh, Are they still sitting on significant supplies of corn, whatever condition it is in? Uh, it seems to be the case, yes, reportedly. But uh, that's always a little sketchy in terms of how much to count on that. You talked about the basis earlier. There's some fairly good plays around out there, are there not, in terms of basis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty mind-blowing, really. I mean, some not of these a, Farmers are not all treated equally, obviously, during the crop well, that's season. that's for sure. But and in and terms just of the, the geographical differences are crazy. I mean, we've got a branch office uh, just west of, Indiana, of Indianapolis, and uh, you know, some of these people are looking at uh, like a posted bid of 30 over. You know, for the corn, and you don't have to go f- uh, too many miles uh, west of that into Illinois, and you're looking at you know, 25 under. I mean, it's it's crazy, the, the differences here. For uh, someone listening to us who wonders about that, what is responsible for those pockets of strength? Is it proximity, in some cases, to the river, proximity to a, an ethanol plant, proximity to a large uh, livestock population? What is at work in these instances? Well, kind of all of the above, I think. I mean, you know, Normally, and, and especially this year, I mean, you always have your the absolute strongest basis levels on the East Coast, you know, just because it's such a hog production area and a corn deficit area. And so I think you, you generally see, a, you know, the basis will weaken from that as you go west. And, and so uh, that's just a little bit more markedly uh, extreme this year, I think. But um, but I think the, the farmer holding, like like we talked about a minute ago, the, the ability of farmers to hold on a little tighter, I think uh, – Speaking in real broad sense, most farmers are probably finding themselves undersold right now because their production ended up being better than they thought it would be, and they're afraid to make the sales back when maybe they normally would have, especially when the prices are pretty decent. But everybody was convinced prices were going to skyrocket, and it it looked like we were going to have a production disaster for a while there. So as such, here they are undersold. Uh, yet, in spite of that, there you know there seems to be a real bullish sentiment out there. Thinking they're that, reluctant to pull the trigger. It's just move. a matter of time before you know, people see the light and the production's not there. Uh, That's we could dangerous, argue about that all day for sure. I, yeah, traditionally, I think when you see across the board strong farmer holding, traditionally, my experience has been that it's, it's bearish flat price eventually because the market knows it's there, and uh, I don't think higher prices or, as we've seen, higher basis really wrenches it loose. More than anything, I think time will. You know, people have bills to pay. They don't want to pay the storage or they worry about condition or whatever. So the stuff will move. Probably just going to take some time. And I think as time goes on, and then also as we finally see the uncertainty wind down in terms of just what exactly production is, which presumably we'll, you know, know in that January report, um, at that point then I think you'll start to see 
these these basis extremes level out pretty quickly. Presumably, we'll know in the January report. That Let's hope there's so. There's that other shoe that falls in June sometimes. I know, I know exactly. But at least it'll be a number that everybody's going to have to live with for a while at that point. Thanks for being with us, Clayton. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. You too, Clayton Pope. Clayton Pope Commodities. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here. Here to help. So let's start with some good news for the week as China continued to purchase U.S. soybeans, pork, and beef, even though we were struggling with the U.S. China trade agreement. In its weekly export sales report, USDA said that China agreed to buy 568,000 tons of soybeans in the week ended November 14. And soybean shipments headed to China during the week rose to 874,000 tons. Then uh, China stepped up its purchases of U.S. pork and beef amid that outbreak of African swine fever that has devastated the country's hog herds and caused a protein shortage in that country. As a result, China uh, USDA said weekly Export sales to China totaled 39,000 tons. The bulk of that expected to be shipped in 2020. And beef export sales to China were 239,000 tons during the week. So uh, hopefully we'll continue to see some more positive news coming on that front. In the meantime, we're still waiting for the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal. There was an hour-long meeting this week. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Speaker of the House uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, and she said the two sides made progress during the more than one-hour-long meeting. So she finally said, I think we're narrowing our differences. We can reach an agreement on USMCA when the trade representative makes the agreement enforceable for American workers. So that's still a sore spot in negotiations on that trade agreement. The White House has asked Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley's office for input on the administration's latest proposal to boost the ethanol market in 2020. That, according to two sources familiar with the matter today, after a flurry of conversations between President Trump and corn state advocates who are critical of the plan. The White House request shows the Trump administration may be having second thoughts about the proposal, which the president had hoped would shore up his support in the farm belt, a crucial political constituency in his bid for re-election. The EPA is already due to miss a November 30th deadline to finalize the proposal, which was drafted after prolonged negotiations 
So we're still waiting on that for a final presentation on what the administration is going to do to satisfy the angry corn growers who felt that uh, they got dealt a bad card in the oil versus corn argument that's now been going on for quite a while. And uh, at the marketplace today, soy fell below $9 on South American weather and the trade doubts. At the end of the day, uh, we see that the uh, January soybean contract ended down $0.04 at $8.97 per bushel. And uh, December wheat ended higher today, up six and a quarter cents, five fifteen and a quarter cents a bushel, while December corn ended up just a quarter of a penny at three sixty-eight and three quarters. So, soybeans fell for a third straight session today because of weather forecasts calling for beneficial rains in crop areas of Brazil and Argentina. Then uh, we take a look at the uh, livestock futures trade at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Live cattle futures down ahead of the USDA feedlot data today. February live cattle futures ended the day down a dollar twenty cents a hundredweight. January feeder cattle futures ended the day down three dollars and twenty-five cents. Ahead of that USDA report, analyst surveyed by Reuters expected the government to report the number of cattle placed in U.S. feedlots during October at about two and a half million head. That would be up 11% from a year earlier. Well, that's our time for this week, along with Max Armstrong, Orion Samuelson, saying thank you for listening and joining us every week on The Market.